Hey everybody, here we are again, hopefully just for this week, but we will see what happens. But it is good to join you and uh, I hope that you're watching in together at home in your lounge rooms and that you've enjoyed the service to this point. Just a couple of quick things before I get started. I just want to remind you again about the marriage course that begins on February the 7th. And what, what I'd like to do now actually is just play a very short trailer just so you get an idea of what the marriage course is like. Marriage involves two people. They meet. You found me really attractive really quickly. <laughs> they fall in love. She's passionate. <laughs> they get married and embark on a relationship that's designed to be one of increasing intimacy. I really couldn't see my life without her. But that's not automatic. We have to keep working at our marriage. Because I wasn't getting much affirmation, I started getting that from other places. Our marriage was nearly over. If you start building good habits in your relationship, you'll be reaping the effects of those choices in 5, 10 or 20 years' time. I can't let my past define my future. We have to build our own reality. The aim of the marriage course is to strengthen the connection between you as a couple. Love grows us. This is not a silly sentimental idea. This is science fact. How about one that we don't really hear about? How about this one? Fun. Marriage ought to be fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point? The marriage course is built on universal principles that are relevant to any couple anywhere. In years to come, you'll look back on having built a marriage as perhaps the most important achievement of all in your lives. So it's looking really good and I want to encourage you to come to that if you're married or if you know somebody who you think would benefit from the marriage course, then please uh, let them know about it. You can register online, it's $70 per couple, and that includes dinner each week. Um, and just to let you know, you just sit by yourselves as a couple, you know, there's no group sessions or anything like that. You don't have to discuss your own personal difficulties or marriage difficulties with other people. It's just between you and your spouse or your partner. Next Sunday is meant to be Pastor Steve and Amanda and the family's farewell. And we're really hoping that we'll be able to be here in the church for that. But we'll let you know uh, what's going to happen if, if anything changes. But be, please be prepared to be here at this point. And we're going to have a BYO lunch at the end at about 12 o'clock. So please remember to bring something for that as well. All right. Well, we're spending a few weeks considering this verse from Philippians chapter 2. And it's verse 5. And here's what Paul said. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so we're looking to the example of Jesus, you know, his attitude to shape our own, because we are the followers of Jesus, but also because these commands are actually good for us. You know, it leads to good outcomes for us. And so my contention is this, success in every aspect of your life is dependent on your attitude. And the best and, and really the only attitude for a Jesus follower to adopt is the one that he had. You know, a wrong attitude sabotages your life. It sabotages the relationships in your family. It sabotages the organization or the, or the company that you're a part of. And it sabotages your relationship with God. 
Because we've got to have a right attitude about all of these things for those things to be successful. Last week, we considered the attitude of Jesus to his father. And what we found was a son who completely obeyed and followed the will of his father to bring his father glory. That was his attitude, that it was about bringing glory to his father. This week, I want to switch to looking at the attitude Jesus had towards loving others. So last week was the attitude towards loving God. This week, towards loving others. So let's go back a bit in Philippians and look for some help on how we can adjust our attitude towards loving people to be the same way that that Jesus did. Now, chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul opens with four questions. And I was kind of reading these questions today and trying to just see the connection a little bit. But, But I think these four questions are rhetorical. The first three questions ask us to reflect really on our relationship with Jesus. You know, the answer to all these questions should be yes. And if they're not, it's an indicator that we've got some work to do. So here they are, Philippians 2, verse 1. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together? In the spirit. That's the first three questions. And I hope you can say yes to these three questions. You know, do you feel encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is, do you feel that encouragement? Does the depth of his love bring you comfort? Do you actually experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And, and I guess the question is, if you can't say yes to those questions, then today it's the answer to that is to reconsider Christ, recommit to Jesus today. But then there's a fourth question designed again to make us consider our relationship with Jesus. But this question is more about how we love others as a reflection of that relationship. So here's what he said. So we're still in verse one. The fourth question is, are your hearts tender and compassionate? And then he goes on, verse two, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then verse 5, which is the one we've been looking at, then he says, as a response to those things, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, Jesus had an attitude defined by humility. And humility will bring success to your relationships with others. It brings success to your relationship with God and it brings success to your relationship with others. And this is the key for describing the attitude of Jesus, in my opinion. And so without beating around the bush, let me just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, humility must be your attitude in all areas of your life. We need to be known as humble people. God actually loves humble people, by the way. If you want to do the right thing by God, be in his favor and his will, then be humble. Look what James had to say. Remember this from last year in our series on James. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, these are pretty strong words from James, although he's, he's quoting other scripture, God actually opposes 
the proud. Just think about that for a second. If you're looking for, for favour and if you're looking to be in the will of God, you know, one thing that, that won't get you there is pride. And yet it seems like we consistently see the narcissistic pride-filled people taking top positions in political power, sometimes in our organisations. And it seems to me that God, he opposes that kind of, of leadership. You know, the church can be no better sometimes. How many times in the last few years have we heard of a big name Christian leader fall from grace? And it's almost always because of a lack of humility. And sometimes, you know, you can't tell on the surface. The surface looks good. They get results as leaders. But it's what goes on behind closed doors. You know, it's what happens in secret that really reveals someone's character. And this is where that we see a lack of humility. Pride comes before the fall. Pride and Christianity don't mix. Pride reveals a problem with the heart. You know, it actually reveals a lack of repentance. There's, it reveals a lack of change. You know, on the flip side, God, God loves the humble. It's what the, it's what the scripture said that we just, we just read. You know, he brings grace to the humble. He loves them. And Jesus was the perfect example of humility. So we're going to keep reading in Philippians. So we're up to verse 6, and, and, and here's, here's a great description of, of why we would say Jesus is an example of humility. Verse 6, though he was God, important point about Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, not not his divinity, his divine privileges, and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. So the ultimate example of humility is Jesus. So let's, today I want to just dive further into what humility looks like. So here's some signs of a humble person. The first thing is they have a compassionate heart. That's what the scriptures just said. Compassion describes humility and Christ's attitudes towards other people perfectly. Let me just remind you, he showed compassion to a Samaritan woman at the well. You know, culturally, as, as a Jew, you don't speak to Samaritans, especially women. He took up, oh sorry, he stood up for the, the woman caught in adultery and he, and he protected her from her condemners. He had compassion on the 10 lepers. You know, they were the outcasts from society. No one went near them. He had compassion for children who were told to stay away. He had compassion for the lost. You know, think of the prodigal son who, who completely uh, rejected and disrespected his father and yet the father willingly took him back. That's an example of the humility of Christ. He had compassion for the tax collector who was selfish and sometimes would cheat people. He healed the blind and the sick. Even when one interrupted his sermon one day when his friends lowered him from a roof. He delivered the demon-possessed people. He had great compassion for them. He advocated for the poor and, and the prisoners. He had compassion on the crowds because he could see that they were lost, that they needed a shepherd. He had compassion for the doubters. You know, think of Thomas. He had compassion for the weary and the skeptics. 
Because compassion is a movement of the heart. It's present at all times and it comes to life when we see someone in need, when, when we're humble, that is. It's a desire that, that's, that's born out of, out of love for others. So how's your compassion? You know, the Bible is asking it of you today. How's your compassion towards others? Does your heart move to compassion? Is it tender as Paul says it should be? The second sign of a humble person is that, is that they have, they're not selfish. The sign is selflessness. Verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Pretty clear. But humility has a natural desire to put others first. There's a desire to see other people do well. You know, there's a desire to see other people get credit. A humble person doesn't need praise, doesn't need to be in the limelight. They're comfortable knowing that God sees what they do and so they don't always seek the attention of others. A humble person or humble people are willing to give and be, and be generous. They take delight in seeing others have their needs met ahead of their own. It's not a natural human trait because sin is inherently selfish. You know, most sins can, can be traced back to selfishness. But we're being transformed and we live in the spirit and so our natural desires should be different to the world's natural desires. You know, our desires come from, from the Holy Spirit. And if you want more information on that topic, just you go read Romans and, and you'll learn more about that. The third sign of a humble person is that they don't have a need to impress. Again, in verse 3, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Yeah, this, is a, this, this can be a hard thing for us to do. Humble people are comfortable in their own skin they, and they, they live with a reassurance about their place in, in God's kingdom. They don't need to have the attention and praise of others. Now, of course, we all need encouragement and, and support from each other. But there is a difference of having, to having friends and family who encourage us and, 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 or, or going fishing for compliments by trying to impress people. You know, th- this can be the downside of social media. It's something we should be careful about. I want you to hear my heart on this. I'm not saying you shouldn't share what's going on in your life on Instagram or Facebook. You know, I love seeing what's happening in your lives and the lives of my friends and family. Even, even the difficult stuff. And I'm not saying you can't share reflections on current events or things like that. Those things, they're fine. They can be healthy. They can be helpful. I am saying we should check our motivations for it and be on the lookout for anything that isn't humble. You know, if it's a constant need just to impress people, just check that motivation. Because it might not be a humble one. I think you can hear what I'm saying. All right, the next one, the next sign of a humble person is that they love to see others do well. I guess it's linked to the selfless attribute that we've already talked about. But humble people love to see others do really well. You know, they, we celebrate other people's success and achievements, even if others kind of move ahead of you or before you. We don't fight to get ahead and big note ourselves. We let our quiet achievements and good character speak for themselves, even if it means things take longer for us to get to in life. The next the next sign is humble people are really good at, at listening. They listen well. Now, let's touch on this briefly because you've already had a couple of sermons on this lately. But just to remind you, it's two ears and one mouth, and that's the ratio we're supposed to use. Humble people don't dominate discussions. They practice active listening, and they care about what other people are saying. They don't feel the need to jump in and interrupt. They're not thinking about one-upping the story that they're hearing. They're focused on the person, 
and, and, and what they're saying with empathy. Proud people, they struggle to listen well because they tend to be thinking about themselves while they're listening. They're quick to interrupt and, and correct others. You know, learning to really listen is, is an attribute of humility. And humility is the attitude of Jesus. The next sign is humble people don't need to be right. And this is a big one. I'm not sure if this has always been the case or if it's something new in our generation. Perhaps social media has kind of given us more opportunity. But let me just say, you know, church, as followers of Christ, we don't have to win every argument. Humble people don't have the need to always be right. You know, they can let it go. A place of humility means we can listen to an opposing view and actually try to see it from another person's point of view before we open our mouth. And even if you've decided you don't agree, you can accept that person and love them the same. You know, even if their point kind of upsets us a little bit, that won't change the relationship with that person. God calls us to show grace and love to all people. And if disagreements destroy relationships, that, that's just not the attitude that Jesus had. You can agree to disagree and still be good friends that love each other. You know, if all your friends agree with you politically or, or theologically, something's wrong. When we insist on being right about everything, I think it's a sign of pride. You know, I, maybe I could use, even use the word arrogance. Yes, I know sometimes we have to fight for God's justice and we have to fight back against the decisions of government that may violate, violate God's way, you know, especially when, when those decisions do harm to people. But how Christians fight is the key. How we do it is the key. When we take the, or what we should do is take the high road of truth with love and love is expressed, quite frankly, in humility. You know, love is not expressed through pride and anger and having to be right, having to force people to agree to us. Christians fight on their knees, first and foremost. That's where you have to start. If, you know, if you're fighting for God and you're not fighting on your knees, stop and start with this. Because here's where our fight is from Ephesians 6.12. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see the difference there. You know, we fight for our kids on our knees first. We fight for our communities on our knees first. We fight for our country and our world on our knees first. And, and yes, I agree, I agree there is more to be done. There are times to speak up and make a stand and advocate and advocate with passion. Absolutely. But we do that with the attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, it doesn't tear people down. You know, what would Jesus do in Washington right now? That's a good question you could ask. Because that's the answer for us. What would Jesus do when it comes to our own country caring for the most vulnerable in our society? Because if we fight, we fight with grace. And it's done with compassion. And it's done with patience. And always with humility. We are ambassadors for Christ first. If you fight in a way that undermines the message of the gospel or who Jesus is as the light of the world. We're not having the attitude that Jesus had. But back to the point, 
We don't have to have the last say. We don't have to be right. In our relationships, there's an important attitude of Christian submission that goes in both directions. The next one, the next sign of a humble person is they accept constructive feedback. This one's hard as well. Humble people are willing to consider their own flaws and adopt an attitude of growth and change out of love for God. You know, you'll note that I said constructive feedback. Because people whose feedback is not constructive, you know, that's not humble anyway, coming in your direction. And I have a few people in my life that I trust in this area, and all of them are the humble ones. When they gently point out something in my life I need to consider, I'll listen. That's the power of humility. It opens doors for you to speak into other people's lives. You know, if you feel like you've got something to say to someone, but you're not a humble person, I guarantee you people won't hear it. The point is humble people are willing to consider the areas of their life where they themselves need to grow without being offended. And the last one is, the last sign of a humble person is they take full responsibility for their own actions. In other words, they will willingly consider if they've been out of line and they won't hesitate to apologise. And, they, and they'll always do it sooner rather than later. You know, they don't, a humble person doesn't wait two years to apologise to someone or two months and perhaps not even two weeks. We do this with the desire to maintain and, and if need be, restore relationships. That is what God calls us to do. This is part of the gospel. Success in our relationships, church, is dependent on our attitude. And an attitude of humility is the key. Jesus was humble. He was never arrogant. He was never proud. So as we close today, I just want to finish with a little bit of self-reflection. I just want to, I want to bring some questions to you at home. And as, you just, as you're sitting there listening, I'm just going to give some space around these. I want you to be honest with yourself as we ask these questions. And, he, and here they are. Do all of those attributes of humility, do, do they align with me? Do we love people like Jesus does? Over the years, are there people you need to get right with? You need to humble yourself and get right with them. Is there a relationship you need to restore? Do you need to seek forgiveness from somebody? Is there someone you need to forgive? You know, even if it was 10 years ago, do you need to send a note or make a phone call that simply says, I'm sorry? How is your attitude to your spouse today? How is your attitude to your parents? I don't care how old you are, whether you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, an older adult. How is your attitude to your parents? Or how is your attitude to your children? Is it a right attitude? Do you want success in that relationship with your kids? Is it one that antagonizes them, that's always upset at them, that can't, that doesn't build them up? How is your attitude to your kids? How is your attitude 
to your work colleagues. Or to your boss, to your manager, your supervisor. Conversely, to your employees, if you're a business owner or in a management position, what's your attitude like to your employees? Is it the same way that Jesus would be? Is it the same attitude as Jesus? How is your attitude to those you disagree with, you know, politically, theologically, you know, to those with a different ethnicity? How's your attitude? Is it the same as Jesus? Or to the non-Christian or the atheist, how's your attitude to them? Or to those who worship differently to you? This is the word of God for us today. We must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we hear your word today and it's, it's real challenging for me. And God, my, my desire is um, that what you put in your word will be true about me, that I will have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had to you, Lord, and to other people. How I love you and how I love others. That humble, loving attitude towards people, that selfless, giving attitude. And I pray, God, that you would make that change in my heart, and I pray for everyone watching today that you will help them make that same change. We call on you, Holy Spirit. Change us. You know, show us where. Search our hearts. Convict us where we need to be convicted. May we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus because then I know we will shine brightly as Philippians goes on to say. We would be ambassadors for Christ. We would bring real change to this world. We would see success in all areas of our life or more success in all areas of of our life. God, I pray for that in us today. I pray that for your church. I pray, Lord, that when people walk into this church or when we meet people in the community or, we, or our, our ministries encounter people, Lord, that, that the attitude of Jesus will be evident throughout. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have free reign to, to bring that change all throughout. Thank you for showing us your way. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.